everything did you remember to sleep what a surprise let's talk and let's laugh because i got so much to tell you so let's go kick some art 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 go kick some Kia ora and welcome to Kick Arts with Emma and Stephen, New Zealand's comprehensive art show brought to you on Planet FM 104.6 and streaming live around the globe thanks to our podcasts, which you can download from planetaudio.org.nz. Tonight we chat to three amazing authors, an outstanding Kiwi band and check in with the Pump House Theatre to see what they are up to, plus we've got some great new Kiwi music to play. Check us out at kickarts.org.nz to find out what's happening in your area and how you can help support us to stay on air. Now over the last few years our mental health has certainly been challenged. A friend sent me this song recently, which has been taking the internet by storm, and I think it really sums up what this journey can be like for some. It's called Numb Little Bug, and it's by M. Behold. Enjoy. I don't feel a single thing Have the pills done too much haven't caught up with my friends in weeks And now we're out of touch I've been driving in LA And the world feels too big Like a floating ball that's bound to break Snap my psyche like a twig And I just wanna see If you feel the same as me Do you ever get a little bit tired of life? Like you're not really happy but you don't wanna die Like you're hanging by a thread but you gotta see Cause you gotta survive Like your body's in the room But you're not really there Like you have empathy inside But you don't really care Like you're fresh out of love But it's been in the air And my past repair A little bit tired of trying to care I don't A little bit tired of quick Repairs to cold A little bit tired of sinking This water in my Broken and broke. The prescription's on its way with the name I can't pronounce and the dose I gotta take. Boy, I wish that I could count. Cause I just wanna see if this could make me happy. Do you ever get a little bit tired of life? Like you're not really happy, but you don't wanna die. Like you're hanging by a thread, but you gotta survive. Cause you gotta survive. Like you have empathy inside, but you don't really care. Like you're fresh out of love, but it's been in the air. And my past repair. A little bit tired of trying to care. I don't. A little bit tired of quick to cold. A little bit tired of sinking. There's water in my boat. I'm really breathing, trying to stay afloat. So I got these quick repairs to 
ever get a little bit tired of life Like you're not really happy but you don't want to die Like a numb little bug that's gotta survive It's gotta survive And that unique song was Numb Little Bug by M. Behold. And as I said in the intro, very pertinent as people are having lots of different mental health struggles over the last few years. And I thought she captured all of that so beautifully in the song. So, Emma, welcome. Uh, you've been jet-setting around the country since we last caught up. Yeah, well, I mean, last week, of course, I was in Nelson and we did our interviews from there. And then went on to Blenheim for a national meeting with Music Theatre New Zealand. And now I'm back. Is it nice sort of jumping on a plane and feeling a little bit normal? Um, yes and no. I definitely had a moment of, oh, my goodness, I'm sitting next to someone I don't know and I don't know where they came from and right. I'm next to you for an hour and a half. I hate having a mask on that because I didn't because there was someone next to me, I didn't even feel like I could pull it out to just have a full breath of air because they were right there. Not so bad on the way home because I sat next to someone I knew, so at least I could kind of wriggle yeah. And no cup of tea and bicky. No, it's a bit weird when they offer you snacks as you get off the plane because all I want to do is get in the, in the Uber or, or yeah. get in my car and go home. And carrying a little packet of chippies and a cookie time cookie, it's kind of like, I don't need it now. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's see what breaks over the next few weeks with lots of changes, hopefully, and perhaps by the time this has gone to air, we've, we've had some updates around those mandates and audience numbers. Fingers crossed. Um, but tonight, we've got a real mix with authors, some, some theatre, some music, and some fabulous Kiwi music that's been sent in. We love it when our artists keep us up to date with their latest releases. Shall we rock on in? Yeah, let's kick it off. Now, I'm very excited to meet our next author tonight, Sally Sutton, because for our listeners, we get the bonus of seeing her on Zoom and all the wonderful books that she has behind her. And many have been books in our household and in our teaching repertoire. So welcome to the show, Sally. Thank you very much. Great to have you here. And we're here to talk about your latest piece, which is crane guy um, but you've been writing picture books and children's novels for a very long time yes that is true forever <laughs> forever and we'll try and unpack shortly i wonder emma if we can find out what her favorite one was but first of all let's talk about crane guy what's this book all about well it's a game of i spy from up high so it's basically um a guy way up in a crane that was inspired by um a real crane in auckland cbd where the old downtown building um used to be that massive crane that they had in there yeah and is this who's, who's this one aimed at well i mean i guess it's kids who are starting to learn their letters because i spy you know is a game where where kids are starting to learn to read um or even just to make those associations between the sounds and the words so any kid that you can play i spy with would be the right kid for this book i think fantastic so why children's books as your main genre 
That's a good question. I've often wondered that because when I started out, I thought, oh, what sort of a writer? I knew that I wanted to be a writer from a very early age, um, but I didn't know what sort of a writer. So I thought for a while, maybe a playwright. I thought, you know, maybe a grown-up writer, and I sort of played around with, with different things. But I think in the end, I'm just a bit too crazy to be anything other than a children's writer. And I love rhyme so much, um, and I just like kids. So it kind of made sense in the end. And I it's, it's not something I've ever regretted. Um, and it's so versatile, you know, you can do all sorts of things. There's, there's picture books, there's, um, there's novels, there's, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that it's what I've chosen. With your picture books, do you have a preferred illustrator or have you used... Like, has there been the same illustrator on many of the books, or are they all well, different? Yeah, I mean, the thing that most people don't realise is that the author has nothing to do with choosing the illustrator as, as a rule. Um, so the publisher will be the one who chooses the illustrator, and they, they're really good at matching up a particular text with a particular artist. So a, a lot of uh, my books are illustrated by Brian Lovelock, my roadwork series um, are all done by him, um, but I've worked with various ones, and you know it's it's almost always a really lovely surprise to see what they come up with because that's their that's their half of of the book. Yeah, so I I, I always look forward to seeing who who it will be, um, and I'm usually really pleasantly surprised. Yeah. And how much of an idea in your mind do you have? when you're writing the book of what you would like the pictures to look like, or do you leave that, a com- you don't think about it? You have to, it's a bit of a fine balance because you have to be able to think visually because, you know, when you write a picture book, there are 32 pages and that essentially means for most books, there are going to be 12 double pages and like a single one at the end so you have to think about where the page turns are going to occur and you have to think that the artist is going to have to put something interesting on every page so if you have a you know a story about the same thing the language might be wonderful but if there's nothing visually interesting in the story then it's going to be a bit of a bummer for that illustrator they're not going to have much to go on um so you do have to think visually but at the same time it's a big mistake to have a really clear idea of exactly how you want things to be because you know as a writer that's not your job that's the illustrator's job it's their creative freedom and they have to to come up with that um so yeah it's a bit of a balancing act you need to have lots of scope for visual um you know for all sorts of stuff going on but at the same time you you have to give them that that freedom um because that's that's their part of the book now i haven't seen crane guy yet but you said it was based on the crane in auckland Will people reading the book know it's in Auckland or has the no, taken us no. to a fictional town? Yeah, I mean, it was inspired by that crane, but that was just me, you know. Um, it could be any crane anywhere. You love all these things like cranes and diggers and things. Well, You've got this person for tell this. Secret? Shall I tell you a secret? I used to hate them. <laughs> oh, really? Actually, a natural fan of big machines. Um, but my big machines were really a way into the story, into hooking kids into my books, because I know that so many kids love big machines. But the weird thing is that because I've done so many big machines, I actually really do love them now, and not just because they bring nice. royalties. But, you know, I was, I was thinking about the crane, for example. I mean, I stayed with my, um, my girls. We had a staycation um, in the city not so long ago. Um, and we were staying in this, just for one night, but in this apartment right up on the 36th floor, I think it was. And so we were above a crane looking down on 
it. And it's just such a beautiful thing. It's so graceful. It's like a huge giraffe with the sky behind it. And I thought, wow, you know, they're, they're really, yeah, they are a bit wow. They're like dinosaurs. I can see the... Um, I can see the appeal now that I didn't used to be able to. So, That's so <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah, I'm a convert. Well, I, taking you all the way back to 2009 to the New Zealand Post Book Awards, I was actually up on stage with a number of students presenting their winners through some drama performance oh. and actually read your piece from Roadwork. I remember um, that. I was thinking about that the other day. That was so cool because the kids were just kind of chanting the book and it just felt the whole yeah. room kind of came alive with this. It was almost like music. We'd been it. given all the finalists and it wasn't until the last minute that we were told who the winners were and we had oh. to suddenly piece this performance together. And I can remember picking your book up and going, oh, this is going to be so different to so many of the other larger ones that we had had. So, oh, yeah, it's lovely l- lovely to see the success just continuing. Yeah, continue. no, that, that's always stayed with me, that, um, that performance. I, I really appreciated that. It was awesome. <laughs> so what's, what's next on the horizon? What have you got next? Well, I've just finished writing a junior chapter book series called Lulu and the Dance Detectives for Penguin yeah. Random. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it's going to be fun. And... Because, you know, writers often don't just write, we do other things as well. I've got together with a dancer friend. We had a, I started a project over the first lockdown, it's Stories with Movement. So this is called uh, Hee Ha Story Dance, and we do stories that move. So um, there's a bit of drama in it. There's quite a, a lot of easy te reo Māori, and it's really fun getting stories that instead of necessarily playing with sounds, I'm actually playing with movements so we can get up and and move them. It's really, really fun. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, it's something really, really different and something that we just kind of stumbled into and it's just, it's proving really exciting. So we're doing school productions as well. So I'm getting to be a bit of a playwright too, writing little plays, which I really, really love. Um, so yeah, that's super fun. Do very, you find... Very enthusiastic. And we, you know, we've been talking to authors a lot in the last few weeks around whether they stick to one book, get it finished, move to the next or are you jumping between a few projects at once? No, I, I jump. Yeah, I jump. I've always got several things on the go at once because I get bored quite easily. Also, I think, to be fair, it's quite good to rest things because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of doing something and then forgetting about it. I'm putting it away in a drawer for two weeks if you can, for a few months, and then pulling it out and, and what's wrong with it kind of just jumps out. Um, so, yeah, I'm a big fan of doing that. So there are lots of different things at different stages that I'm working on, yes. Now, something we have been asking authors lately is if you could give a piece of advice to a young writer starting out, what advice would you give them? So when you say young, you mean a kid or um, a young well, probably a young adult more than, you know, like we've got quite a few teenagers that do listen into us, you know. So yeah. if they were going into that tertiary kind of after school thing, what would you suggest? I mean, the first thing is the obvious one, just read. <laughs> read, you know, as much as you can and as widely as you can because that's the best way to learn to write. And just persevere. It's really hard to be a writer. It takes a long time to learn. Um, you know, it took me eight years of trying really hard before I got my first book published. Um, so you do have to persevere and you have to be prepared um, for blood to be spilt. You know, it's you have to be prepared to rewrite and edit a lot. 
Um, and it is hard work. And especially if you're writing for kids, you have to realize that just because it's for kids doesn't make it easy. In fact, it almost makes it harder. And if you are thinking of writing for kids, I would definitely suggest thinking of your audience. I think when you write for adults, you can pretty much in some ways write for yourself. But when you're writing for children, you can't. You have to write for them particularly. And writing for a three-year-old is completely different from writing for a 10-year-old. So you have to really concentrate on on that particular age group that you're focusing on. If it helps, you know, think of a kid that you know and write for them. Yeah, so that, that would be my, my, my basic first advice anyway. And if we were to sneak in and see what books are on your bedside table, who are you reading at the moment? <laughs> That's a little bit embarrassing because I've got such a huge pile that they keep falling <laughs> over and knocking over my drink and my light. And <laughs> I am trying to learn today on Māori, so I have got out the maximum number of picture books from the library, which is 35. So they're all, all piled up on my bedside table, <laughs> along with Gavin Bishop's um, fabulous Atua. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, my rhyming dictionary, I think, might be there because it's like my Bible. I keep it beside my bed. Um, I'm reading a rather meaty um, book by George Saunders, a kind of a masterclass on, on writing as well. Um, yeah, basically all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Fantastic. I didn't know there was such a thing as a rhyming dictionary. Oh, you've been missing out all your life. It's my favourite book. It actually goes back to 1930 or something. It's um, one of those books that that's so old that it's just about falling apart. Um, but, yeah, it's my, it's my Bible. I, I like it better than anything you can get online. Wow. Um, yeah. So I hinted at the beginning of the interview, I was going to ask you, is there a favourite book that you've written? Is there that one that just sits in your heart in a different place to the others? I have to, this is quite boring to say, but my favourite book is always the one that I've just finished. And the reason is I'm not sick of it yet, because when you go to school and you read your book over and over and over again, you're kind of over it, you know. So, yeah, the newest one is is often my favourite. Um, <laughs> so at yeah. the moment, it's actually the one that hasn't come out yet. It's the last one I've written in my Lulu series. Um, but that that will change, I think, Yeah. <laughs> Well, Sally, an absolute pleasure to catch up and talk to you tonight. Crane Guy, of course, is available where all good books are sold. You can find out more about Sally at sallysutton.co.nz and at Penguin. We wish you all the best for the rest of 2022 and hopefully you can catch up with us when you've got your next one out. I hope so. Thanks so much for having me. Your heartbeat 
was On the Corner by our friend Sam Cullen, who has just released a new EP, Run. Now, you know on Kick Arts that we love talking to New Zealand musicians, and this evening we are joined by Tombs. Good evening, Nick and Dorian. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Fantastic. 
So for our listeners, tell us, what is Tombs? Tombs is... Take it away, Dorian. <laughs> We're a two-piece band that plays drum and bass. How long has it been going? I guess about three, three years. years. And so we've just, just released a full-length album, which is our first thing on vinyl. But before that, we released a eight-track. I don't know if you call that an EP or an album. Eight songs sounds like a lot to me, but also they're all like, you know, a minute and a half long. So time-wise, maybe it's not a long player. So how would you describe your sound to our listeners that haven't heard you before? Yeah. I mean, that's probably a question we should be able to answer easily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I guess it's kind of it's kind of loud, it's fast, it's distorted. I mean, I guess simple descriptions. You'd probably say it's a punk band. And how did the so, two of you meet? Um, Doran works at a bar that I like to drink at. <laughs> the venue that we often play at as well, where we had our um, album release, which is on K Road called the Wine Cellar. That's how we met. Nice. And Rowan, the owner as well, actually, he helped us put out that. Um, tape that Nick was just talking about before the first EP that we put out. So he helped us put this out, that out under... It's arcade Recordings. Uh, yeah. But this this one's actually on uh, Once 12, which yes. is a, another independent label. Uh, except they specialise in doing vinyl and they asked us if we wanted to do a proper record. And so, of course, you're not going to say no. No, that's so cool. And where do you get your inspiration from to write music and I mean when we're talking an album that's called Fake Teeth and the song we're going to play shortly is called Bit Part where's this inspiration coming from guys? I like I thought I thought that the name Fake Teeth would be kind of cool because like the imagery I've got in my head is like fake teeth they kind of basically do the same thing but it's not the real thing if that makes sense. Yep makes sense yep um, and, and the song specifically, bit part. Uh, it kind of plays on that idea as well. It does. It? It's sort of a little bit of imposter syndrome, sort of a thing. Um, I mean, most of the, the the combining factor would be a sort of relentlessly bleak worldview, would be sort of the the theme that runs throughout the records. Yeah, and as that relates to bit part, it's sort of the opening line is bit part player in your own life, and that's kind of that encapsulates the really the bleakness of the song. Yeah. And who is your musical inspirations? Who do you both listen to? Phoebe Bridges. <laughs> um, from Scratch is... Oh, yeah, play, yeah. Like I, the... How do you explain this? The, uh, I, think, I think the technical term is hocketing, when you have, like, lots of uh, little sort of chunks of sound um, syncopated against each other. Yeah. And specifically, there's a from scratch composition calls. I always get this wrong. It's either Pacific 321 or 321 Pacific. It's quite old. It came out in the, the late 1980s, but it's they have the, when they still had the, the PVC pipes that you'd hit with a jandal and they'd have like three people arranged in a circle and it would be sort of... Um, believe it or not, that's what we're going for. <laughs> and Nick, has music always been a big part of your life? Yes, I guess you could say that. I should probably say more than just yes, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I'm, I'm curious then, when, when does it go from something that you, you know, you just do for fun or as an activity to then actually seriously having to, to put a whole album together? Um, yeah, I mean, I also I also do sort of recordings for a living as well. So the idea of re- making music for me is always intertwined with, with the recording of the music. 
I don't. I wouldn't say there's, there's there would be a sort of a, a watershed point where it went one way or the other, because I think they were sort of always intertwined, and it just kind of just sort of continues on. It's one of those things that you just start doing, and then you continue doing it. And what about you, Doran? When did you get into music, or how did you get into music? Did you grow up playing? I guess yeah. Uh, growing up in Wellington, I was just always in the punk scene and just started working from and like for a venue from when I turned 18. So it was just always part of my life. But what about the playing of it? Yeah, no, that's the same as well, playing in punk bands since I was like 17, 18, and then I moved up here and that just carried on. Where would you like to take it? Where's the next step for tombs? <laughs> um, I mean, we're not sort of um, what anyone might describe as particularly career-orientated. <laughs> but it's... it's taken quite a while to get to this point for this record to come out for any number of reasons. I mean, you obviously have to make it all, then you have to record it all, then you have to mix it all, then you have to, like, sort out the cover. And then, obviously, I, I don't know if you guys know about this, but there's been this pandemic that's affected the whole world over the past couple of years. That kind of slowed things down as well. So I think we're probably in a stage now that now that we've kind of got it out, it might be a moment to sort of stop and take stock. Figure out yeah, where we want to go. Yeah, and refresh a little bit. I think we came quite a long way from like that first EP though because that was just like straight up like stinky ass snotty punk <laughs> stuff and now this is like getting a bit more buzzy so I don't know Most uh, and sophisticated <laughs> I think is what you mean it's a little bit more thoughtful versus like hey Dick at McDonald's I hate you <laughs> it's like an old song so it's, I think it's just getting a little bit well it's, gr- it's grown up the sound so hopefully it will grow up more and maybe, yeah, yeah. So, where can people find out more, or follow Tombs, or hear your stuff? Okay, so we have a we have a Bandcamp page. EugeneTombs.bandcamp.com. Okay, <laughs> I, you can find us pretty easily on uh, Facebook as well, which I think is what is Tombs. If you're in New Zealand and you type in Tombs, you'll probably find the right one. There is another Tombs band that's like no middle-ish, like somewhere in Europe, though. So that's, yeah, that's I, not us. They're, they're in Ireland, and yes, they're just definitely not us. They're better than us. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we, we wish you every success with this album, and now we'd love you to introduce bit parts so that we can hit play and our listeners can hear firsthand if they agree with your description of your music. Take it away, introduce your track. Hi, this is Terms and this is our song. Bitch Path <laughs> from our new album, Fake Teeth. Oh, do it. 
Now, we always love it when people return to Kick Arts and we're delighted tonight to have back Tina Clough, who is a wonderful New Zealand author and here to chat about The Shadow Broker. Welcome back, Tina. Thank you so much. So you've been busy writing a number of books and this is the next one that we're here to chat about. What is The Shadow Broker all about? So novel set four years into the future in a slightly more dystopian world than the one we live in now, but one that the present situation leads quite seamlessly into when privacy has kind of been more or less abandoned and the state has set up more intelligence services and national security services. Everyone is being tracked everywhere. So if you find something out and try to delve into it that involves the authorities, you are playing with danger. So was it a deliberate choice to make it that close in a date to the now? Like 2026 isn't that far in the future. No, but if you th- I, I wanted to make it really credible. So I thought if you extrapolate what we have now, we have petrol stations and police cars have cameras that can identify you by your number plate. We have facial recognition. Anyone's smartphone can track them anywhere at all without doing anything much. You know, there's so much stuff already. It's very hard to move about in society without being on a CCTV camera. So I thought if you combine that fact with a a slightly different type of government, one that wants to know what every citizen is doing and keep track of them, and then into that mix you chuck this thing that big global enterprise is actually running New Zealand via bribes to cabinet ministers and top civil servants, then you have a society that is actually plausible, even from today's world, but very different and very dangerous. So, Tina, outside of this government that's taken over in 2026, how does the ordinary person get encapsulated into into it? Well, One of the main people in the story is called Minnie and uh, she is given a phone that a friend of hers thinks she has dropped. But it isn't her phone, but someone else has used exactly the same very, very simple four-digit pin. So she gets into it and what she sees alarms her to such a degree um, that she asks a friend of hers who's a hacker for help because she realises that it exposes total corruption of government officials and ministers and that's how the story starts and i suppose that could happen and in, in any you know like how do people find out if governments have accepted money from outside companies and things so yes very possible yes i think so i think it's quite a realistic thing and she used a, a four-digit pin that a friend of mine uses, which is 2580, which is straight down the middle line on your keypad. And yeah. I'm sure there are thousands yeah, of yeah. people <laughs> who have the same pin. Well, it's like people that use the four outside digits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So that's how it started. And then, of course, as they start trying to find out what's going on with this corruption, who is behind it, how does it work, they come to the notice uh, however much they try to protect themselves of of the people involved, and suddenly their lives are very dangerous. 
very true. So who do you think will pick your book up? Who are you aiming or to appeal to? I think anyone who wants a good story with credible characters and one that isn't just about things like police procedures and the traditional flawed detective trying to solve something. This is kind of from the character's point of view, that the small people, the ordinary people who happen to get involved in something really dangerous. Awesome. And you said that potentially you had been working on multiple books? Yes, I have. so are you a writer that writes to the end of one or do you have multiple, like we may have asked you this last time, I can't remember, do you have multiple books going at one time? No, no, I do I do one at a time. I, I read one book at a time and I write one book at a time. And then I see you also edit medical research papers. So that's quite yeah. a, a different headspace as a writer. That's That's what I call my real job. Right. <laughs> I I edit research papers in medical science for two universities in Europe and also occasionally um, doctoral theses by people in medical research. So this is kind of that last linguistic check before they're submitted for publication in international journals. It's when punctuation is important, proper language, proper references, the whole thing. Wow. Now, we were talking to um, some authors last week about the whole going back to that date thing and about having to pre-date books. So have you got any books that you're currently writing that you might have to back-date because of what's happening with COVID at the moment in the world? No. Well, no. that's a positive. <laughs> I, ha- I have already published books that, of course, predates COVID, but no, nothing that I need to change. Oh, that's good. Now, over the last little while, we've been chatting to authors about their their routines and how they juggle, as you say, the you know the real job and everything else. And, and authors from the spa pool trip in the morning to the glass of wine at the end of the day. What do you find is your routine when it comes to writing? How do you get into that space? You're going to think I'm totally mad, but I don't have a routine. Okay. <laughs> My life, my life is made up of things that happen in small installments. So I live on an acre, which is a big field with fruit trees and hens and shelter belts and stuff. Everything needs looking after, uh, including a lot of riding around on a ride-on mower. I do the science editing, which sometimes comes with very tight deadlines because scientists are forever leaving it to the last minute. And... I write when I can fit it in. I just write in bits and pieces everywhere, all the time. It it doesn't matter to me. Once I open a Word document and see where I was up to, I just continue. Nice. It makes it nice and easy. And what yes. are you looking for for inspiration then for your next books? Well, I'm actually taking a step out of the um, crime writing you know, I've, I've published six crime novels and this Shadow Broker is at number six. But I'm actually having a go at writing a series of books in what's called women's fiction, which is not what normally these days is called romance because that's quite sex-orientated and it always has a, 
naked male torso on the cover. That's really not my thing. So women's fiction is just about people, their lives, their interactions, what happens, how it affects them. Do you meet people in your everyday that you go, oh, you'd make an interesting character? Like, you know, are you analysing people as you go? No, they just live in my head. <laughs> I do. I do. Sometimes I do come across names that intrigue me or names that kind of make me think of a particular character in a book I'm currently reading. And I might actually go through and totally rename a character because of that. Mm-hmm. So I might call somebody Stephen instead of Liam now. Here we go. Well, Stephen's name's going to become popular thanks to Tina. <laughs> and of course, the Shadow Broker can be purchased or found at all where all good books are sold. Thank you so much, Tina, for coming back on to Kick Arts and joining us. And Thank we you. look forward to hearing more about your series in women's novels or women's writing. And yeah, all the best. Super. Thank you.
that was Stan Walker's version of Crowded Houses, Don't Dream It's Over. And now we are thrilled to be joined by Meg and James from Pump House Theatre to talk to us about their Masterclass series. How are you? Very good. So let's start with you, James. Tell us a little bit about the Masterclass series. So we... Well, like a lot of venues and, and theatres, we found ourselves with uh, sort of three months' worth of nothing happening because of Omicron and all the cancellations we've had. So we sat down and thought, what can we do? What do we have the resources to do? And came up with this, this series of workshops to try and, uh, first of all, give something for our, uh, our sort of performers and, and artists who can't be in shows at the moment, or maybe they could learn and, uh, you know, increase their skills um and also for the the tutors who also have seen work dry up as well give them an opportunity to sort of maybe earn a little bit of money so all of the tutors involved in this um are are being paid um and it's uh hopefully anything left over will help the pump house as well but really we just wanted to make sure things kept happening that were creative in our in our sort of community fantastic so meg do you want to tell us what what's in the lineup So we have a voice workshop with Linda Cartwright. Uh, We have a lighting design workshop, which is focusing on the design of lighting for a a particular show um, with Julia Rutherford. We have a Shakespeare masterclass for adults with Mags Delaney. Uh, We have a character workshop with myself, uh, which will be exploring um, how to create a character for stage. Um, we have a working with text workshop with Cass Boniface and we have Jordan Henare doing um, a how to include tikanga Māori uh, in your show, uh, which is really cool, something really special. Uh, we also have Jennifer Ward-Leland coming in to do um, a seminar about uh, intimacy and coordination for theatre, but specifically for community theatre in our case, um, but everyone is welcome, and that's a free event. Fantastic. And, of course, because we are pre-recording, the first of these workshops will have been the day before this goes to air, and that is Jordan's workshop. So if you didn't sign up, you missed out. (laughs) (laughs) And how long are these workshops running for? Are they over the next little couple of months? Yeah, over the sort of various weekends between now and the middle of May, um, we've got different things on at different times. Um, some are on weeknights, some are on a Saturday morning, some are on Sundays, so we've tried to mix it around so that if you can't come to one, maybe you can come to something else. And what's happening at the Pump House following these workshops? What are the plans for the remainder of the year? That's the big question. Um, we, we did start the year with a really full calendar of events, um, with the uncertainty with COVID, it does make it a little less certain as to exactly what's going ahead um, and what's sort of being postponed or cancelled again. Um, so I'm reluctant to commit too much, but I know friends at Shoreside Theatre have got their, their midwinter Agatha Christie coming back. Uh, Tim Bray's got his, his sort of usual programme of Children's Theatre booked in. Tadball Theatre Company are premiering a new New Zealand play later on in the year. And we've got Masked Productions, who I think you guys talked to a couple of weeks ago, with um, The Woman in Black starring Michael Hurst coming in in June. So quite an exciting lineup if we can just get people back in the theatre and uh, 
Yeah, but I guess that's a good plug for some theatre makers out there that perhaps, you know, are looking for a space to perform, to get in touch, because there might be a few projects in the wind that actually instead of doing it in your local community venue, here's a beautiful theatre, go go and use the space. It's got some gaps. Especially between now and the middle of May. (laughs) So tell us, what are you doing to um, help the audiences come back, Meg? Is there anything you're doing to make them feel comfortable about maybe coming back into a space with other people? Yeah, so um, we at the Pump House, we follow all the guidelines and protocol put in place by the government. So we are pretty confident that we have established a really really safe environment for people to come and feel comfortable. At the moment, obviously, we've got um, a cap of 100 for any events that we may have on. and we will be we scan vaccine passes before you enter the theatre. We have a very rigorous cleaning cycle, so the theatre is is well well and truly cleaned all the time. Um, yeah, so hopefully people will feel comfortable when people come. We sit people distance as well. People wear face masks while they're watching a show or if they're at an event. Um, so yeah, I think. I think people can feel very safe and secure and happy to come back. We um, we want people to enjoy entertainment again, so we're doing everything we can to make sure they can. Right, so how can people pick up tickets or register to attend your workshops? So they can go to our website, which is pumphouse.co.nz, uh, there is a landing page for the masterclass. And so if you put in pumphouse.co.nz slash masterclass, forward slash masterclass, um, you will see all of them there and you can just click on any of the posters and you'll be able to sign up. Um, otherwise, we've got a What's On page. You can see all the shows that we have coming up and the masterclasses are in there as well. Or give us a call. You can give us a call on 4862386. And your big mascot teddy bear won't answer the phone if we ring Willie? No, unfortunately, uh, we don't have him anymore. It's very sad. <laughs> he went back with Tim Bray Theatre Company, so... But you will get to speak to either me or Mags or James, yeah. And we're just as cool. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we wish you every success with the Masterclass. We think it's a great idea to keep a space busy and alive. As you say, James, it's offering um, the facilitators some work as well, but a chance for everyone to learn off some of the greats that are available. So well done, and we wish you a a wonderful success with it. Thank you. Yeah, we really wanted something for people who, you know, maybe they dipped their toes in acting, maybe they've been in a few sort of community theatre shows and they want to take it to that next level, maybe go from being an extra to a speaking role, something like that. Perfect opportunity to come and learn some new skills. 
and that was Lauren Jin with Young Jenea Wordsworth and their track Remedy. We've had a number of things come into our inbox lately. Best news today, Bark Music in New Zealand adds extra capacity to performances this weekend. In light of the government's announcement on Wednesday that audiences for indoor gatherings will be increased to 200, Bark Music in New Zealand is thrilled to confirm they are able to release an extra 100 tickets for each of their previously sold out three opera galas happening this weekend on the 26th to the 28th of March at St Matthew in the City. Audiences can be assured all health and safety requirements at Red for the 200 audience capacity will be followed and vaccine passes are still required at entry. Now tickets are available from iTicket and this is for Saturday the 26th at 8pm, Sunday at 3pm, Monday at 7.30pm. Earlier this week, the New Zealand Comedy Trust cancelled the 2022 New Zealand International Comedy Festival. The New Zealand Comedy Trust made the gutting decision to cancel the 2022 New Zealand International Comedy Festival, which was to be held in May. Despite working through multiple ways of presenting the festival programme, the festival could not go ahead as planned. The decision came down to a mass disruption caused by the spread of Omicron. The level of participation and preparation required from artists to create their shows and from organisers to deliver such a large-scale event. Now, the event usually has 150 comedians from around Aotearoa across 600 live comedy performances. It's an enormous loss for the comedy community and our hearts go out to the artists, producers, venues, production companies and hospitality businesses that this cancellation will impact. Now, I wonder if they'd known the outcome of this week, whether this might have been a different outcome. Since her debut in 2016, Laura Charman, a.k.a. Elsie, has recently emerged from the shadows of her collaged-infused bedroom, revealing her brand-new single, Create Your Art, a deliciously minimalist offering which casts a spotlight on her enchantingly unique vocals. So let's have a listen. You sunset skies painting with blisters and sweaty sides. She's just a cinema attendant on the side. She's got a melody that's cooking in her mind. And they could have all walked away a thousand times and a thousand more. We never would have seen the way the sweat and tears turns into gold. What's left if they'd given up, just given up? What if we lost all the ones who
Absolutely delighted tonight to welcome Lucy Corey to the show, Lifestyle Winner of the New Zealand Book Lovers Awards. Congratulations, Lucy. Thank you, and thank you very much for having me. Great to have you. And, of course, this is for your book, Home Cooked, Seasonal Recipes for Every Day, and we've been lucky enough to have a sneak peek through your copy, and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, as we're recording this, we haven't had dinner yet, and you're the last interview that we're recording, so both of us are now very hungry. Um, <laughs> but congratulations, this is a huge achievement. What What did you think when you won? Oh, well, look, actually, I have to tell you that um, on Thursday morning when the news came out, I had rushed off to the dentist early um, to have some um, fill-in replaced, and so I came out of the dentist at about, you know, quarter past 10 thinking, oh, you know, ouch. And um, now I've got to go back to work. And I looked at my email and had one from a friend saying, congratulations. And I thought, what? <laughs> and then <laughs> scrolled it down a bit further and saw the news. So I was feeling at a pretty low ebb. And then so it was a really lovely surprise. Oh, really that's surprise. really nice. So tell us what the book Home Cooked is, is about. What, what sort of recipes have we got in here? So it's, um, let me just have a look at my copy while I'm talking to you. Um, it's a book that really does have something for every, everyone. Um, it was very, the concept of it is that it's very um, seasonal and like, like it says on the front, seasonal recipes for every day. Um, I wanted it to be a really useful book for people who, you know, everyone has those times, perhaps it's every night of the week, you know, quarter to six on a Wednesday and you think, oh, what are we going to have for dinner? And, oh, there's nothing to, you know, um, there's nothing in the fridge or nothing in the cupboards except, oh, you know, that bag of courgettes that the neighbour um, pushed over the fence yesterday or, you know, that tin of tomatoes and what can I do with these things? And so um, it, I like to think of the book as being 
the book form of that really useful friend you have that you can ring up and say, what should we have for dinner tonight? I've got a packet of mints and two tomatoes. Um, But having said that, there are more um, slightly glamorous recipes in there too. Um, But the way it's set up, the book's divided into the four seasons and each season has about um, eight, ten sort of hero ingredients that are in season um, at that time of year. So, for example... Um, since we've just, you know, we're just coming out of summer and into autumn. And so for autumn, the ingredients are apples and pears, feijoas, fennel, figs, mushrooms, nuts, onions, pork, pumpkin. And there's a rogue one in there, which is condensed milk, which is obviously not very seasonal. And it's an ingredient for all seasons and, and um, to me. But, um, you know, it's a book with a bit of fun in it, I think. Um and it's funny that, um, you know, I understand why the book was um, in the lifestyle section of the New Zealand Book Lovers Awards, but it's not a lifestyle book <laughs> in that, you know, it's not eat, pray, love with recipes. Um, I don't have any inspiring messages for, um, <laughs> or stuff like that. You know, um, I'm just an ordinary home cook and um, I feel like my one superpower is making dinner out of not much. And so if I can share that knowledge with everything. That, that actually order. fits really well in the lifestyle then because, you know, lots of people at the moment are, you know, this is a challenging time. So to actually have recipes of what might be in your cupboard, you know, it does sort of form part of the lifestyle at the moment. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's really um, you know, it's it is really tough out there and everything everything is getting more expensive. Um all the time so I think being able to work a little bit of kitchen magic with what you've got is a really good thing to be able to do. So where have the recipes come from? Are they family recipes or are they recipes you've learnt from other people? Um, they're a mixture actually. Um, some of them um, there are lots of sort of family recipes in there or recipes inspired by um, family recipes Um there are, I wrote a recipe column for stuff for about three years, and then the Herald for about eighteen months. So there, I had a lot of a lot of um, back catalogue, if you like, to to refer back to. Um, and I wrote, um, you know, it's it's kind of uncool now, I think, to say that you have a food blog. But I started writing a food blog back in two thousand and ten when they were still a thing um well maybe they were uncalled then but i just was too uncalled to know um and so i've got like a big archive to draw back on and obviously you know it's a bit like you look back on the clothes you wore 10 years ago and think oh that's terrible um but there are some <laughs> occasionally there are some classics in there or some things that you can reinvent and um eat in different ways but i was going to say too with it being in a seasonal book did you write it as the seasons went on? Like, was this a year-long project to create the book, or was how did the book creation go? Um, well, the uh, when did I start working on it in earnest? I I'd been thinking about it for a really long time, and actually, the thinking, working out what the structure was going to be and what those hero ingredients were going to be was really was really hard because, it, you know, that was the hard bit to get right. I thought once that bit is right, everything else will fall into place. And actually, um, 
even up until the very last minute, we were shoehorning a few more recipes into certain um, sections because the publisher was like, oh, I've just thought about, what, a, what about this ingredient? And I think, oh, great. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, but the most of the work, the bulk of the work um, I did last um, last year, so the end of 2020 and into the start of 2021, I spent sort of four months working on it really hardcore. Um, and so that meant um, there were lots of things that when we came to take the photos, I, the day before um, we were doing the photo shoot that we were going to shoot the asparagus photos in, I drove around nearly every supermarket in Wellington in search of basically the last asparagus in the lower North Island, <laughs> um, which uh, was really nerve-wracking and also really expensive, which is which underscored to me, this is why you write a recipe book about food being in season, because um, I tell you what, if you're buying 10 spheres of asparagus for $7, you better hope they taste good. <laughs> yeah, and you don't burn them in the first round. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, Emma and I love to ask authors what books they have on their side table, but, you know... I guess I'm a little bit curious here. Who who, who do you follow in the cooking scene? Um, is you know, have we got a stockpile of Jamie Oliver beside your bed? No. Well, actually, I'm just thinking about what's beside my bed at the moment. Um, there is there are actually two fantastic books I've got out of my public library. Um, I'm a huge fan of and advocate for libraries, and luckily. Um, the suburban library I go to in Wellington has an amazing cookbook section. And I often think to myself, okay, well, I'll go, I'll get this out of the library and then, um, you know, I'm saving money by not buying it. But often I sort of think, oh, I love that book that I got out of the library so much, now I'm going to have to buy it or I return it late and I have overdue fees, so I may as well have bought it. Um, So I'm reading two, I've got two cookbooks on my bedside table at the moment. One is called Lazy Cooking, no, Lazy Baking, Um, which is by a Scottish woman whose name is Jess Dennison, I think. Um, And that's uh, really great. She runs a cafe in Edinburgh, and it's lots of really beautiful baking recipes. And, um, you know, believe it or not, I um, have been reading that in bed at night because it's quite soothing to read about baking at the moment. Um, And then another book called, oh, my goodness, I'm going to forget the title of it, but it's by an American chef who lived in Tokyo for 20 years and set up a chain of ramen restaurants. Um, and I know really, I know very little about Japanese food. So it's really interesting to learn all this stuff. And you sort of think an American, um, you know, teaching Japanese how to eat ramen, but um, he's not, he's not like that. Um, it's really interesting. It was really interesting about um, kind of food um, rituals um, in, in Japanese cuisine and, and like little insights into the Japanese psyche. So I'm reading those two at the moment. Plus, I've just finished, which is not a food book at all, um, Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason, um, which was a big, um, which was a novel, which was, I think, probably, I'm probably two years out of date. Um, I didn't do much novel reading this time last year because of working on Home Cooked. So it's a real delight to read again for pleasure. Nice, nice. So is writing and doing this, is this your day thing are you a full-time author or is this your end of night hobby no i'm not sadly i'm not a full-time author if i was i think um 
I would be um, starving. Because <laughs> unfortunately, writing cookbooks is not a way to make your fortune or pay your mortgage, I think, unless you're Annabelle Langwine, maybe, um, or Nadia. Um, no, uh, by day, I uh, used to be a journalist, and then I've done what all um, middle-aged journalists do, and now I work in communications. So I do that four days a week, and then I have one day a week where I do um, freelance writing and cookbook stuff and editing and um, lots of other kind of fun projects. So I have one day a week where I – one official day a week where I work on um, fun freelance things like cookbooks. Are we able to ask what the next book is that you're currently creating? Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not working on my own one at the moment. I've just finished editing um, a really beautiful book. I can't tell you anything about it, but it'll be out later this year. Um, and it's been a fun project to work on someone else's book. Knowing what's – now I feel like I have a really good insight into what goes into the recipe creating and the writing stage, and it's just nice to come along with the kind of the duster and polish it up a bit. That's been a really nice thing to do. And it'll be a really beautiful book. If you're editing someone else's cookbook, do you find an urge to kind of add, oh, I wonder what it would be like mm. if you added it? <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what the really nice thing about it is, is you can kind of switch off that part of your brain. You're just being purely analytic, if you like. And there's, um, you know, there's a bit of creative problem solving, I suppose, but mostly you're just thinking, is this instruction right? Do I understand what they mean here? Um, you know, are all the ingredients in this in this recipe? It's a, a much more, um, not mechanical, but it's much more analytical. And so it's almost quite refreshing because you're not having to kind of um, have all these kind of creative um, things going on. You know that they've done the hard work on that front and you're just coming along, like, you know, making sure that all the, I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and the sugar is in the right place in the recipe. Nice. That's brilliant. Well, look, congratulations once again on your award. Um, we think the book is stunning, so get out there, folks, and get home cooked and see what you've got in your pantry that you can pop into one of these recipes. And we'll look forward to seeing where your next adventure might take you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Anyone remember singer-songwriter Graham Candy, now making it big in Berlin? Well, here he is with his new single, Keep On Smiling. Yeah, you might think I'm crazy, little bit lazy, thinking I may be nosed. I'm never straight up, everything is made up, all of my brain is cooked. I suppose, maybe... Says no baby, a situation, no complication. Oh, when there's something like keep on smiling, keep on smiling, baby. One, two, three, beating round the bush. I'm Baby, holler when you want to chill again. Got deja vu, I've seen you. So good, so good with truth. Direct, direct. 
about to go out of control. A situation, no complication. Oh, when there's something like keep on smiling, keep on smiling, baby. One, two, three, beating round the bush. I'm Building up for three days, man. <laughs> you went and bought an expensive bottle of whiskey, and it's like, now I gotta say something. Question my car. I don't wanna think about. Stole my girl. I don't wanna think about. Keep on smiling. Keep on smiling, baby. One, two, three. Being around the bush, I'm like. another good week as always but we're going to take a break for a couple of weeks this is a first in kick arts history well, sure is but the transponder is finally moving up the road from our premises at planet fm in carrington road up towards our new premises at mount albert yeah so while that's happening there's just going to be some music playing for the next couple of weeks as Planet FM have a lot to do to set up our new studios. Then we'll be back still pre-recording for a couple of weeks before we get back into the wonderful live shows. I can't wait. I know, I can't wait too. But we will still be doing some pre-recorded interviews or potentially our phone interviews because, as you all know, after our first lockdown in 2020, we discovered the ability to be able to do that, which meant we could reach further afield than our Auckland guests. Absolutely. Now, we're scheduling now for our April shows and May, so email us, info at kickarts.org.nz. If you've got anything coming up in the future months so we can schedule you in, keep sending us your music, your bulletins, your media releases, because Emma will be busy on social media even if we're not broadcasting for a couple of weeks. Now, some new exciting news happened on Wednesday with the government scrapping limits on outdoor gatherings from this Friday. So by the time you're listening to this, you could have been at an outdoor event with unlimited people. And it's also revealed the end of the use of the vaccine pass and mandates for some industries from the 4th of April. The number of people allowed to gather inside from this Friday also increases from 100 to 200. Now masks will continue to be used but Wednesday's move means outdoor concerts, sports and other outdoor events would be able to resume under red settings from this weekend. The traffic light changes will kick in from 11.59 this Friday. So we're not really changing traffic lights. We're still in red, 
it just means that the limits have been lifted. And then from the 4th of April, vaccine passes will no longer be required to be used. So that's very exciting. The government is also ending the controversial vaccine mandates in education, police or defence force workers from the 4th of April. Now, to end the show this evening, we're going out with our dear friend, Captain Festus McBoyle. First up, his new track, Breathe, followed up by an oldie but a goodie, Bubble. Now, remember to keep an eye out your window over the next two weeks for Planet FM's transponder to be cruising up Carrington Road towards our new home. So have a good couple of weeks and make sure you... Kick some arts. Captain Festus McBall here from New Zealand. You're listening to Kick Arts. You lucky little buggers. Emma and Stephen, I tell you, you just can't beat them. Over and out. One, a two, a one, two, three, four... Yeah.
Arms straight, you lot. Kick arts. Emma and Stephen. Captain Fist is not ball. At your service. Over and out. <coughs> Ooh. still a bit weird, but I'll keep getting better, I'm sure. Am I the only kid in the room who feels that? Oh, 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 everything's changing. Oh, 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 am I alone? I know, oh, 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 just the worry
Captain Festus McBoyle here from New Zealand. My mum's been telling me for years I need a good kick in the arts. I tell you, Emma and Stephen, they're bleeding good. You're very lucky little monkeys. Kick arts. Over and out. Hey, Stephen. Yeah? I just stand up at Planet FM and it's, there's no lights on. I know. Do you think we're meant to be here? Well, I know that we weren't allowed in and read, but may, maybe, maybe they're finally moving. Absolutely. That'll explain why that massive truck was going past with that big transmittery looking thing heading up the road. Oh, oh my goodness. So for the next couple of weeks until that transmittery looking thing is installed up the road, there's not going to be a kick-arts episode. No, but lucky for our audience, they can still track us down at kickarts.org.nz and check out all our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook and we'll keep you informed with what's happening in your area. Brush your teeth and don't forget to go to sleep. We'll be going live, same time under the stars, saying blah, 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 blah.